44% of New Zealand homes have a cat in them. That's 1.4 million cats. And we own 700,000 dogs. Nearly 30% of New Zealanders are dog owners. In most similar countries, more people own dogs than cats, but we stand out. Not that everyone thinks that's outstanding with the issues around the survival of our native birds. Be that as it may, we own them, we love them, but there is something about cats that is a bit disturbing, aside from their predatory natures. We'll get to that. Dr Zazi Todd is Sunday morning's go-to pet expert. She has a book on fear and anxiety in dogs due out this year. She's answered many of your questions previously, and she's the award-winning author of WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy, and Purr, The Science of Making Your Cat Happy. She's the creator of the popular blog, Companion Animal Psychology, and she's got a column on psychology today. Zazie lives in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. They shot the movie Jumanji there, I think, or parts of it. She's a former psychologist at the University of Nottingham. Hello again, Zazie. Nice to have you back. Hello, Cold up where you are, it's been very hot where we are. An issue for pets, yeah? It's been pretty cold here and we've had a bit of snow and my cats are indoors only, so for indoors only cats it doesn't matter so long as you keep the heating on because cats love to be nice and warm. <laughs> but for dogs who go outside, you do have to think about it. And My dog is a little dog, so especially with the littler dogs, they need a sweater or a coat to wear outside in the cold and they look adorable in them, of course. <laughs> but if they're not used to wearing them, then you have to train them to wear them. And also sometimes when it's just very cold, you have to think about how long they can be outside for or if they're outside to make sure that they're moving around and running around to keep them warm and so that they don't get cold and of course snow especially with a little dog even if I don't need a path shoveling in the snow the dog needs to have a path shoveled for him otherwise he will not go out. (laughs) The floundering dog. We've had the opposite (laughs) I notice on our social media here because it's been very hot at times we've had people criticizing other people for walking their pets on very hot footpaths pavements and saying don't you realize you wouldn't walk on these and bare feet think about your dogs and I thought that was a reasonable point actually yes and you can always just check how hot the pavement is with your hand and see if it's okay for your hand then that's all right but if it's too hot for your hand it tells you it's too hot for the dog as well better to look for some grass to walk on instead Mm. a headline on the science alert site pets appear to slow cognitive decline and older people who live alone. A sizable study in the UK has found that pets help buffer the effects of brain ageing in adults over 65. This makes sense to you? I think this is a nice study because it followed people over quite a long period of time and they found that for people who live on their own, a pet did make a difference, especially in terms of something called verbal fluency, which is being able to call up words and use them or think of words that begin with a specific letter, for example, and their memory for words as well. And it made me wonder if it's because people are talking to their dog, perhaps, or to their cat, because I think a lot of people do that. I know that I do that. And I would love to see more research that can explain that because the study shows an effect, but it it isn't able yet to explain it. So I would really like to know more about that. Yes, so would I. And presumably the more you talk to your dog or your cat, even though the neighbours might think you're a bit mad, actually they probably wouldn't. But if they did, it wouldn't matter because you might be increasing that verbal fluency. Maybe, and I think pets are useful to talk to sometimes. They're definitely very good listeners. They like to be spoken to. (laughs) They're great listeners. Before we start talking about dogs, 
Can I ask you about XL bullies? Uh, the the UK is trying to ban them. A grandmother has just been mauled to death by XL puppies while trying to stop them fighting. We have those dogs here, and breeds like this are always defended by breeders and owners. And I notice a vet here said they can actually be very sweet, very loyal, very affectionate, really good dogs to deal with. What's the truth? I agree that they can be very sweet, very lovely dogs. And unfortunately, I mean, this was a terrible case in the UK, but the evidence shows that breed-specific legislation doesn't seem to work to protect people from dog bites because they've had breed-specific legislation with other breeds since 1991. And over the last several years, actually, the number of dog bites has been increasing. And usually when it comes to preventing dog bites, we actually look to the city of Calgary, which has done a really good job of reducing dog bites. And they've done it not by banning breeds, but instead by focusing on responsible dog ownership. So in terms of looking at how people care for their dog and including encouraging people, for example, to socialize their puppy during the sensitive period, which is between three and about 12 to 14 weeks. And positive experiences then make a big difference to what the dog's personality will be like later. They'll be much more friendly and confident and outgoing and sociable if they've had a wide range of positive experiences then. So it's a complicated topic, but unfortunately, BSL isn't the answer. Yeah, owner neglect, owner slackness in any country is a big problem, isn't it? All right. Thank you for that uh, opinion about that. Scientific American says size and face shape in breeds provide good indicators of how long dogs will live. I think we know some of this. This is a very big study, albeit that it looked, again, at UK dogs. But the findings would apply to our own countries? Well, this is actually a huge study. They had at least 250,000 deceased dogs in their study. So it's a massive database. And I think the findings in general absolutely would apply to New Zealand dogs as well. So in terms of the size of the dog and the dog, dog's face shape. Those certainly would be the similar findings for New Zealand dogs. When it comes down to specific breeds, because they looked at over 150 breeds and that average lifespan of them. There might be some differences because there might be some genetic differences between the UK breed and the New Zealand breed. And that's probably especially for the less common types of breeds and for the more common breeds. Um, it's probably very similar across the UK and New Zealand. Okay. An English bulldog won't live as long as a dachshund, for example. And interestingly, I thought, not that I know much about this area, but crossbreeds don't tend to live as long as purebreds. I think we would have assumed the opposite. Yes, so that is interesting. And some previous research has found the opposite, in fact. But one of the things they didn't do in this study was look at what kind of crossbreed they were. And it so it's possible that some of them actually are what we call designer dogs. So the Labradoodles and the Cavapoos, for example, which are dogs that come from just two breeds. And those specific types of dog, although they are a crossbreed, they actually have quite a limited gene pool. So it's possible that that's the reason for this finding rather than the crossbreeds, because usually we think of a crossbreed as having lots of lots of different types of dog in them. Yeah. So that's probably why, but we don't know for sure. Okay. I didn't think of that, so that's an interesting um, conclusion from you. Female dogs live longer on average. Why? 
And this is something that's been found in other research as well. And we think it's probably something to do with the female sex hormones, but we don't fully know. And one of the things they didn't look at in this study was the spay and neuter status of the dogs. And it's actually spayed female dogs that tend to live longer than other dogs. So that's quite interesting as well. And it would be nice to see more, more data on that and, you know, to learn a bit more about why that happens. And smaller, longer-nosed dogs live the longest? Yeah, so the small dogs live longer, which, again, is in line with previous research. And then there was quite an effect if the dogs had a flat face, which we call brachycephalic. And most of those breeds tended to live a shorter length of time. And there was an interaction between those. So actually, the large dogs with the flat faces were the ones who lived the the shortest and that would be dogs like the boxer and the cane corso and the mastiff and the presa canario so these are quite popular dogs um for obvious reasons i mean i love all dogs so <laughs> i love every breed but it's those are the dogs that seem to suffer the most but then of the short-nosed breeds um it's the bulldogs and the french bulldogs which are incredibly popular dogs and they have lovely personalities but they both had a uh, shorter than average lifespan in the study of 9.8 years so that's a shame as well and it's a bit individual to the breed but that flat face is associated often with breathing difficulties yeah. and there's a recommendation that breeders should only breed from this kind of dog if both parents are able to walk for three minutes a brisk walk without getting completely out of breath oh. so that's something to bear in mind if you're looking for a flat-faced breed to make sure that that's something the breeder has checked yeah that's great information flat faces don't always indicate short lives i saw reported and they were talking about the tibetan terrier or Tibetan Spaniel. I'm not sure what they were talking about, but that was an example of a flat-faced dog which lived a decent amount of time. Yes, so I think you're thinking of the Tibetan Spaniel because they do actually have really quite a flat face and yet they were found to live for 15.2 years. So that's really good and that's longer than many of the other flat-faced dogs. Um, Shih Tzus were a flat-faced breed that also did reasonably well in terms of its length of life, which I'm glad about because my dog is a Shih Tzu. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the Tibetan Spaniels did very well despite this flat face. And as for the Tibetan Terrier, they don't have such a flat face, but they do actually live for a long time as well. I, I looked that one up. That was 13.8 that they live for. Okay. Um, so that's good to know. And I think if you're really interested in having a flatter face breed, you could look at some of the other breeds to see which ones are the more healthy ones and maybe choose your dog that way. Of the most popular breeds in New Zealand... Labradors, Retrievers, Border Collies, Jack Russells, Staffies, Schnauzers, German Shepherds, Spaniels, Fox Terriers, Hunterways. Which will tend to live longest and how long and which should you be prepared to have die younger? And none of us want to think about that, right? No, because no. dogs just don't live long enough. So I'll come back to the Hunterway in a moment because that's quite a special dog. Um, but And it wasn't included in the study. But I think for most of those breeds that you just mentioned, actually they, they live pretty good long lives. They tend to be fairly healthy breeds. So we've got the Labrador, for example, over 13 years, the Border Collie, the Jack Russell, all just over 13 years. So that's really, really good. And maybe the German Shepherd would be 
slightly shorter than average and you might expect that because they're quite big dogs but even then only slightly shorter than average and these are all averages so they don't tell you for an individual dog but these these dogs that are so popular i think they're still long-lived breeds and maybe that's partly what helped to contribute to their popularity as well because you know they make good family dogs that will be around for a reasonable length of time even if it's never long enough. Now the hunter way wasn't included in the study and that's probably because I don't think there are very many of them in the UK and they could only include breeds where they had at least 20 of them in order to make sure that there was some, you know, validity, reliability to uh-huh. the to the data. So we don't know, but one of the interesting findings from this research was actually that when breeds are closely related to each other, they tend to live for similar lengths of time. So based on that, I would say that you would think the Hunterway would live for quite a long time because it's it's similar to other breeds that also tend to live for quite a long time. Ah, good info again. Thanks. By the way, it seems uh, that Charlie, Luna, Bella, Poppy and Coco are our most popular dog names. Out of interest... Zazi, what sorts of names are best to have dogs respond? I imagine that I saw Pablo Escobar. I imagine that that, that that is not one of them. I like it, and I like it when people have fun with their dogs' names. And I also love it when people give human names to their dogs. I think that's really nice. So Charlie and so on, I, I really like that. But from the dog's point of view, it doesn't really matter. Probably the most important thing is that it's a name that you are going to feel happy shouting out in the park when you want your dog to to run to you. So nothing that's too much trouble for you to say or embarrassing for you to say. Um, And it's probably best if it's two or three syllables, so nothing too long. However, if you want to give your dog a really big, long name, then you can just always have a nickname that you shorten it to as well. So it would work like that. And it's actually very easy to teach a dog their name. So if you want to change your dog's name, say you adopt a dog from a rescue, it's very easy. You just say the new name every time before you say the old name. And very quickly, they'll start responding to the new new name. So it's a very easy thing to do if you want to change your dog's name. Dr. Zazie Todd is with us. With, as I've already said, lots of very fine information about owning dogs. An Australian study has found that getting a family dog improves physical activity in children. Physical activity jumps markedly, particularly in girls. Psychologically, what are the other benefits, please? I think children really love their pets and there's evidence that pets can be like a really good friend to children. And also it seems that having a pet can help children to learn well more responsibility from caring for the pet and learning how to care for them, but also a bit more about biological concepts and things like that. And in this study, I was really interested to see because they followed children over a period of time. They found that getting a dog tended to lead to the child getting more exercise and they also showed that sadly if the child lost a dog then they would tend to stop doing quite as much exercise and that was especially pronounced for girls which is probably because it tends to be that girls don't do as much physical activity as boys do anyway but 
I think whatever kind of pet children have, they really love that pet and, you know, the pet becomes a really good friend for them. But of course, it's not for everyone. So if you have a family life where you can't have a pet or someone's allergic, then it doesn't matter. There are lots of other things you can do to make sure that your child still has a happy life and still gets to interact with animals in other ways. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Dog owners in the U.S., walk 22 minutes more per day than those without dogs on average, reported by NPR. Makes sense. Does being out with a dog speed your walking up? This study suggests that. But don't dogs stop a lot and slow you down? Well, that's a great question and very well observed because certainly they like to slow down and sniff and sniffing is important for dogs. It's where they find out which other dogs have been by, what other animals have been in the neighborhood, uh, where there might be a tasty piece of food that someone's dropped that they can pick up, for example. And sniffing is an important sense for dogs. So it's really good for the dog if we give them those opportunities to sniff. But at the same time, dogs prefer to walk faster than we do Ah. and this is why so many people get pulled along by their dog so I think the best way to do it is probably to give them sniffing time at the beginning and then try and walk quickly uh, or certainly walk quickly in between the sniffing spots and then I think it will work out well for both the dog and for the person getting their exercise in as well. The claim here is that if you own a dog you will statistically live longer. Do you reckon that's right? There's actually a lot of research on whether or not dogs are good for people overall in terms of their mental health and their physical health and their lifespan. And overall, this research is actually a bit mixed. So probably it's certainly going to be right if you're getting more exercise. And I think there's a whole load of public health scientists who would love to know how to leverage dogs to get people to get more regular exercise. So of course, we know that exercise is good for you. And and if you get a dog and therefore you'll get exercise that certainly will help but the other thing that dogs can do is that they can help to give you more of a sense of community and to be more connected to the community because you go out for your walk you see the same people they comment on your dog you get chatting for example and so on so lots of people end up making friends through their dog and so I think that sense of social connectedness is also very good for people so I think we can't say overall that getting a dog is going to make you live longer but we can say there are aspects of having a dog and sharing your life with a dog which certainly can help to keep you healthier but of course it's a very individual thing and some people have issues with their dog for example they're unlucky and their dog has health issues or behavior issues and then they can have what we call caregiver burden so it because it can be difficult then caring for them and you feel sad for the dog or stressed and anxious about their behavior issues so it's not always a 100 percent positive experience and those experiences where the dog is sick or has behavior problems can actually be quite difficult to deal with yeah and a caregiver financial burden as well and it's probably a good idea if you can to ensure your dog or your puppy when young against all that yeah Mm, yeah if you can i'm sorry that my only cat question today is a sad one zazie researchers at the queensland center for mental health research confirm a mysterious link between being bitten by a cat and developing schizophrenia type disorders the danger Uh, We're not claiming it's a big danger at all, but the danger appears to come from being around cats in childhood and specifically between the ages of 9 and 12. 
and there's no agreement on why. What are your comments here? This study is what we call a meta-analysis. So it's looked at a whole set of other studies that have already been conducted. And actually those studies had quite mixed results. So some did show a link and some didn't show a link. And the thing is, it's only possible to look at associations from this. So it doesn't say anything about causality. So perhaps that's a relief for all of us who live with cats and or had contact with cats as children. But the thing is, Toxoplasmosis is actually very common and where most people get it from is not from their cat, although you, if if you're pregnant then you have to be careful not to get it from your cat and you want to either not scoop the litter tray or wear gloves to do so, but it's better if you get someone else to do it. But where most people get it from is actually from uncooked meat um, instead. So And that also then would make this research quite hard to interpret. And if you think of how many people grow up with a cat and how many people get schizophrenia is obviously not a big connection there. At best, it would be a small increase, but we don't have the data from this to say. So it's something we need more research. I think it's good that people are investigating it, but it's certainly not something to worry about for now. Yeah, good. Important to mention, but nice of you to unpack it for us reassuringly. Uh, Dr. Zazi Todd, always a great pleasure to talk to you, and I hope um, you can come back again soon. I'd love to. Thanks very much.